0: You want it. You need it. It's what everyone's talking about. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Now, here's Kevin. I'm here. Aaron is here. The show is presented by Window Nation. If you're in the market for windows, call 866-90-NATION or go to windownation.com and tell them I told you to call. Mike Shanahan will be on the show today. He'll break down Redskins Cowboys and talk about some of the other things he's seeing around the league. John Kime from ESPN coming up shortly. Andy Pollin later on Uh, I'll get to Redskins beat Cowboys if a couple of Redskins Cowboys rivalry thoughts as well but I want to start with the Wizards opener from last night they lost 113 112 to the Heat you can't give up 22 offensive rebounds and expect to win an NBA game. They nearly did it. Uh, 21 offensive rebounds for Miami would have been a winner uh, for Washington, but Kelly Olenek, uh, Kelly Olenek got the uh, last of their 22 offensive rebounds, put it back with two-tenths of a second left, and the Wizards lost their opener 113-112 against a Heat team that was missing um, some pieces last night. Disappointing opener. Um I've got five or six things I want to go through real quickly from the game last night, and I'll do it quickly, and, and then we'll get to Redskins-Cowboys. Uh, the putback winner for Kelly Olenek, um was, again, the 22nd offensive rebound of the night. I, I really don't think that going small, that the small lineup is the reason that they got killed on the offensive glass. Boxing out was the issue. You know, Size disadvantage is one thing, but if you don't box out consistently, you've got no chance even if you have a size advantage. And off that uh, uh, miss from Wade there at the end, Markeith Morris was guarding Olenek. So my assumption is it was his responsibility to put a body on Kelly Olenek, and he never did. And it's a shame because John Wall played great defense on Dwayne Wade, forcing a very difficult final shot. The other thing that bothered me um, towards the end last night was a constant theme last year, and that is bad offensive possessions at the end of games. Uh, Last night on their final offensive possession up 112-111, John Wall was the only player to touch the basketball now, he apparently got the switch that he wanted. Uh, Beal came off of, uh, of a down screen but really was there to set a screen for Wall to set up a matchup that I guess he wanted against Magruder. Magruder decided, you know what, I'm going to play off, John. He's not going by me. I've got help in the paint, and you can go ahead and shoot a jump shot. And he shot a three, a wide-open three, and the shot looked good, and it went halfway down and came out, and it would have iced the game. But that's not what the Wizards Should be looking for in that spot. How many times do we have to say it over the years that one player, John Wall, holding on to the basketball, running down the shot clock on a big possession, and then trying to create uh, and then taking a jump shot is not what they want? I'm not asking for a play or an offensive set. I'd just like to see a little bit of ball movement to make the defense move. Settling for a wall three-pointer, and he was one for five from behind the arc there uh, before the final attempt. Uh, Settling for a wall three-point attempt with the game on the line has never worked. Now, maybe Brooks told Wall, get to the rim in that situation, but still, to get to the rim in that situation against a set defense, for Wall isn't super difficult. I mean, we've seen it, and they got him against uh, Hassan Whiteside a couple of times last night in a switch, and that was a mismatch. But to move the defense with some ball movement to start the possession would make everything easier for them. Two of the final three offensive possessions for the Wizards featured Wall as the only player to touch the ball. I don't think that's a good idea. It hasn't worked in the past. Uh it's not going to work in the future. I thought overall defensively last night there was energy. I thought Wall played good defense. Um he you know, it's the opener. You know, it's it's the opening game of the year. You're going to have more interest in defending. You're going to be more serious. There's going to be more you know, sort of energy and desperation. Um, but you know, too many times the wizards still defensively get caught sort of napping. Um, they got caught on back doors a couple of times. They were out trying to deny passes and passing lanes with no paint help with no rim help. Um, the heat shot 39.2% from the, from the uh, floor. That's good. You take that every night if you're the Wizards, the offensive rebounds just killed them. 10 missed free throws killed them too. I don't know why the Wizards are not an 80% plus free throw shooting team. Uh Beal should be 80% plus. Porter should be 80% plus. You know, Wall shouldn't be any worse than 77-78%. As a team they shot 74% or whatever it was last night. And an average of somewhere around 78, 79 would have won the game. Uh, Another couple of things real quickly. Then I'll get to some Redskins-Cowboys talk. Jeff Green is going to be a big contributor to this basketball team. He's He's a very high IQ player, and they need them on this team. Also, I love the way Kelly Oubre competes. I get it. He's way too presumptuous about his place in sort of the offensive hierarchy at times. Um, And he makes some boneheaded plays, but he is a badass competitor. He's been fearless since the day he walked into the league. He has something innately that you don't grow into and you don't get taught. And I love that about Kelly Oubre. Love that. I would love to see him take that next step here this year as an offensive player. You're going to get the defensive effort. You're going to get the compete um, but I'd like to see him take that next step because I actually still think Oubre could become a really good player in this league. I'm not talking about a, a you know a 20 point scorer or even a 16 to 17 point scorer or even a starter, but a a significant contributor on a good team. I think Ubre can be that. Last thing: uh, Otto Porter did not attempt a three pointer last night, and I am telling you, these analytic geeks are throwing a tantrum over it. Now, they can't explain why he didn't get a three-point attempt last night. That's not what they do. Um, Porter played well last night. I didn't have a major problem with his overall game. He did a lot of things that help a team win. I would like him to get more offensive opportunities. I would. But the Wizards shouldn't be preoccupied with forcing three-point attempts on Otto Porter. That's not the difference in winning and losing for this team. They don't really run many sets offensively really for anybody. Scott Brooks shouldn't be angst-ridden over Otto Porter's three-point attempts. He shouldn't let the numbers and stats people get the better of, uh, of, of sort of his you know, rational basketball thought. These people can't tell you how to screen a screener for all the tea in China. They don't know what's going on in the game. They're just looking at numbers. Otto Porter didn't get a lot of three-point opportunities last night for a lot of reasons. One is they gave up 22 offensive rebounds, so their opportunities to get consistently into transition. They did run a little bit last night, and they got some transition points, but Porter has thrived in transition with Wall spotting up as a trailer or getting ahead of it and getting into a corner and shooting the threes that he should shoot, which are feet set, catch, shoot, very often unguarded on the catch. If he starts passing on those three-point attempts, then I'll have a problem with it. One last thing, still too many key turnovers on key possessions. Wall had a terrible pass, up four with four minutes to go. They could have extended the lead to six. Instead, he threw a terrible pass. Uh, Magruder hit a three on the other end. That was a big swing. Um, a, a real a painful loss last night. I know it's just one of 82. they're going to go ahead and play the rest of them I get it but that that uh, game last night at home against a injury riddled Miami heat team, you got to win that game and, and those are the kinds of games last year that they gave away um you can't give those games away and expect to actually be a team that's in the hunt for 50 wins and a three seed or a four seed. All right, I'm gonna to get to Redskins Beat Cowboys if in a moment, but I have a few thoughts quickly on what Redskins Cowboys used to mean. Um, it was it used to be important, and I, I have this sense this week that there's momentum building for Sunday. But then again, Cooley's downtown yesterday on the streets of D.C. giving tickets away for free. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Did, did you ever think you'd see the day where the Redskins are giving away tickets?
1: Tons, not just like five tickets here and there, but hundreds of tickets to Redskins Cowboys.
0: Never, never. Um, there, I have always had, as a Redskins fan, I've always had this hope uh, and this sort of dream of... The Redskins Cowboys being, you know, what it used to be, what the game used to be about. And to me, the the dream or the hope is that both teams, you know, become good teams, consistent winning franchises again, where the two games a year and maybe even occasionally three games a year uh, get back to being what it used to be because it was special. For roughly 25 years, you know, certainly from 1971 when George Allen got here to 1992 or 93 when Gibbs left, Redskins Cowboys were the biggest games of the NFL season, every season. You know, not just in the two markets, Dallas and Washington, but these games were important to the rest of the country. It was almost always a national television matchup. Did you know the Redskins and Cowboys have played more times on national television and in prime time against each other than any other matchup in the history of the sport? It's because it used to be big. The two names in the same sentence used to mean huge game, must watch. Think what you want now about any of these big sports rivalries. None of them were bigger than what the Redskins Cowboys were during about a quarter century run. It was the most heated and passionate rivalry in the NFL and really in sports. These days, it's my belief, this is my view, college rivalries are just better. Ohio State, Michigan, the Iron Bowl, Auburn, Auburn Alabama, Duke, Carolina, they're better than Raven Steelers. Um, Skins Cowboys, at its height, had a collegiate feel to it. There were the games that were always important. They played two every year that had standings impact, but there were all the backstories that were added to the games themselves, from Clint Murchison, the Cowboys' owner, purchasing the rights to hail to the Redskins as a chip to get George Preston Marshall to vote the Cowboys into the league in 1960. Um, All of the accusations about George Allen spying on Dallas practices from nearby hotel rooms or in helicopters flying overhead... Dyron Talbert and Roger Staubach really did, during their games in the 70s, hate each other. Talbert predicted before the famous 1974 Thanksgiving Day game that he would knock Staubach out, and he did. And the result was the Clint Longley game. No rivalry in the history of the NFL reached what Redskins-Cowboys was for that stretch. Not even close. There are too many stories to even share. No NFL rivalry has ever had more written about it than Dallas-Washington. The rivalry was so big, there were television commercials created around the rivalry. Remember the American Express commercial with Landry surrounded by a bunch of Redskins in a saloon? The games themselves all have names. The Ken Houston game, the Clint Longley game, 35-34, the Fatigues game, 1-15, in 15, the Monday Night Miracle. These were, I could go on and on. Dallas week back in the day was a full week of nothing but story after story, bulletin board quote after bulletin board quote, banners of encouragement hanging from buildings around town. And and when it came to the actual day of the game, the tension, the excitement, these were professional teams that would be jumping around after the first kickoff tackle like it was a college game. And RFK, oh my God, never, never has there been a venue like RFK for a Dallas Redskins game. Those of you listening that didn't get a chance to experience it for a Dallas game think you know what a loud stadium or arena sounds like? You don't. RFK for a Skins Cowboys game was truly unique. The banners hanging from concourse overhangs, no empty seats 30 minutes before kickoff, noise like you couldn't imagine, and the bloodthirsty nature of the crowd was just an extension of the way the two teams felt about each other. When they play this Sunday, it'll be the 117th time, 115 in the regular season, and two in NFC championship games, both won by the Redskins. When they meet on Sunday, the Skins will be trying to break a four-game losing skid against Dallas. They've lost six of the last seven against the Cowboys. End of two, th- end of 2015 was the only win in the last seven, and that was when the Skins had already clinched the division. Dallas was out of it, and the Skins barely even played their starters for most of three quarters. The most recent game between the two teams that really could have been the spark to something long lasting was the Thanksgiving game in 2016, because Dallas was 10 and one, the Redskins were six three and one. And that was the one game really in the last half decade, last five years, that felt like it was beginning to get back to the old days. They played Dallas on Thanksgiving again this year. That's the third time in the last seven seasons they're playing on Thanksgiving. It would be really nice if Sunday is the first of two meaningful games this year, with the second one potentially being very important. And if it sounds like I'm rooting for the Cowboys to be good also – Um, Don't mistake that for being into the Cowboys. I just know that the rivalry needs both of them to be good simultaneously for a period of time. I hate the Cowboys. They are a 20-year running S-show, equivalent to the one we've experienced. Jerry Jones is an insufferable, self-absorbed clown who I still can't believe is in the Hall of Fame. That, to me, was a major mistake. I don't care what the NFL thinks he did to better the league. He's been a terrible owner, and any Cowboy fan will tell you that. The only success he's ever had was for a brief moment when he shoved his big outsized ego to the side and hired his college buddy, Jimmy Johnson. But after two Super Bowls and a third with Jimmy's players, Jimmy couldn't continue to work for that buffoon. Jerry was too insecure. He had to get rid of Jimmy. He didn't want him receiving all the credit. And what's resulted is really one of the most embarrassing franchises in all of sports are the Cowboys. Maybe record-wise, not as bad as here, but a joke nonetheless. But in their fan base's 20-plus year of wallowing in misery, because Cowboys fans have been wallowing in misery as well, it's ironic that... Our rival fan base is sort of company with our misery. We've had so many conversations with Cowboy fans over the years. Uh, my friend Kenny, who's a diehard, Cowboy Clay, Lenny when he was alive. And the funny thing is there's so many similarities. They want something new. Um, we want something new. And you just seem to not be able to get it. So take some joy if you're into the rivalry and you hope that one of these days it's resurrected. Um, because the game on Sunday is important, standings wise. It is. The Redskins have only played three games against the Cowboys over the last five years with a winning record. So maybe we'll get to Thanksgiving and it'll be here before we know it. And maybe both teams are six and four and they're playing for first place. That would be a big late November turkey day game. Uh, anyway, uh, I I'm hoping for that. And if it's not that, then I want them to stink too. Let's get to the Redskins beat Cowboys. If all right, Redskins beat Cowboys. If they play a clean game, This is very likely going to be the formula for the Redskins the rest of the year. I really believe that, especially on Sunday, because they could still be missing some guys. I don't know what Thompson's availability is. It looks like Crowder is going to be out. We're going to talk to John Keim here shortly, get an update on that. Last week, plus three in the turnover battle, no killer penalties, balanced on offense, good special teams, great field position, and because of it, the quarterback wasn't put in a position to do it by himself which he cannot do right now. He made some good plays, missed quite a bit too, but didn't do anything that hurt the team. This right now to me is the Redskins formula that'll give them a chance to win against most of the teams left on their schedule. They don't face any more truly high octane offensive scoring machines. No Kansas City, no Rams. They've already played the Saints. Atlanta's really good on offense. Uh, That will be a difficult matchup, Uh, but much of what is left on the schedule is doable if they follow the formula they use to beat Carolina. I think this is one of the keys Sunday. Don't get outside of what you were a week ago. That is a winning formula. Redskins will beat the Cowboys if they run the football, and I don't know if they can. Dallas is seventh in the league in rush defense, but second in the NFL in yards allowed per, per carry. Cowboys are getting healthier Sean Lee is expected back this week the Redskins have run it well in the three games they've won in the two that they didn't win they didn't run it at all it's not going to be an easy ask on Sunday Um, but if they are able to run the ball it'll go a long way to making things much easier when they do throw the ball because Dallas can get after the quarterback Three sacks a game they're averaging, a ton of hurries, and a lot of hits. DeMarcus Lawrence, five and a half sacks through six games. They are difficult up front to deal with. You cannot get into a situation where you're you're needing to throw the football to win the game against the Cowboys. So they've got to run it. I, again, I don't know if they can. And my prediction comes later in the show, and I'm just going to tell you right now, I think it's a tough matchup for the Redskins. I don't think it's a good matchup for them. Uh, Lastly, the Redskins will beat the Cowboys if they win the field position battle. That was an underrated part of last week. You know, they had good special teams. They got some turnovers which shortened the field. Look, it's, it's not fun to talk about, but good punting, good punt coverage, being able to at least move the ball for a first down or two when you're deep in your own territory to sort of flip the field with a punt, they dominated field position last week. It didn't lead to a ton of points, but it led to enough. You can't be worried about checking it down on third down if nothing is there in punting. Alex Smith has been, been the king of checkdown over his career. Last year was the aberration. Football Outsiders has a stat named after Alex Smith when it comes to checkdown throws. He's he can't force things and he won't force things, which is what you know about him. Dallas isn't an offense or shouldn't be that you have to worry about keeping up with. Punt it, don't take sacks where you turn a punt from your own 35 into a punt from your own fifteen. Throw the third and fourteen check down to get into better punting position. None of this sounds sexy. I, I got it. It doesn't sound exciting. But I'd like to think that this is a game where they really get it going offensively, but I just don't think it's going to be. 20 to 23 points, which is, you know, now in the NFL is low scoring. You know, you get to 20, 23, used to be sort of mid-range scoring. Now it's low scoring. 20 to 23 wins this game this week. Field position is going to be very important uh harley and aaron from window nation are fans and believers in this podcast in me i want you to trust in them if you need new windows window nation is my favorite window company it should be yours too temperatures are falling fast that's a great reminder that your window pun intended for getting new windows installed before the holidays and snow hits is closing while most window companies are experiencing 12-week lead times, Nation can do it in less than half the time and save you half the money. Call today. Get two free windows for every two you buy. Buy four, get four free. Buy six, get six free. There's no limit. There's only one thing better than free windows. It's free financing. And for the next two weeks, Nation is offering no interest for five full years. New windows now. New windows now and no interest for 60 months. Call the window company that I've called and over 80,000 homeowners have called and have already trusted to take advantage of this amazing offer now to get two free windows for every two windows you buy and 0% interest for five full years. Visit WindowNation.com and save this winter and forever on your energy bills. Eliminate the nasty drafts and start enjoying all the benefits of new windows today. That's WindowNation.com or call 866-90-NATION. Let's bring in John Kime from ESPN.com. Mike Shanahan coming up on the show. Andy Poland as well. Uh, John, of course, covers the team. Sunday, last Sunday, John, you know, they played, I thought, sort of this old-style, traditional, smart football game, and they were down two key players in Chris Thompson and Jamison Crowder. Will they have either one of those players on Sunday against against the Cowboys?
2: Well, I can't imagine that Crowder's going to play. When <laughs> we saw him yesterday outside the locker room on one of those little scooters with his right leg in a right foot in a boot, he hasn't practiced. I just it be at the beginning or a couple days ago. Jay Gruden called him iffy. I don't. I mean, you know, you walk looking at him on a scooter with his boot his foot in the boot. It'd be hard to imagine. Thompson, I think, has a chance. He's been limited. Um, he knew early in the week last week that it would be very difficult for him to play he held out hope others around him really did not but i you know and if they if they have played a game earlier in the week he may not have but i think there's um for him more optimism that he can play than there was last week
0: you know i didn't add i didn't include this in sort of my um keys to the game segment that i just did on the podcast but i think chris thompson's availability is huge from this perspective You know, this is going to be one of those games where I don't think the Redskins are going to have an easy time running the football against Dallas. I think Dallas is very underrated defensively, maybe not even underrated at this point. And, you know, the check down throws to Thompson where he makes somebody miss to move the chains could be huge on Sunday. Could be one of those things that really keeps the Redskins viable offensively. So I hope he's available to play on Sunday. I want to get to Jay Gruden and Alex Smith.
2: And can I add one thing on that too? Sure. The one one thing with Thompson with against this defense, one thing that's hard to do against this defense is run a lot of screens because of speed they have at the linebacker spot with Lee. And and um, Smith James and even they they do a really good job with that so that's but that's a screen game but yeah I agree with Thompson I, and also I think the pressure they can bring at times with some of the blitzes it's nice to have an experienced guy back there helping
0: yeah and I, I'm talking more about you know envisioning Check down, uh, yes. envi- envisioning a difficult time throwing the ball and on second and ten and potentially yeah. third and, and, I, and, and ten I agree with that. you know you know not not forcing it and not worrying about punting in a game that could be a field position game but getting the ball to Thompson on a check down and letting him make a play, yep. which has worked uh, over the last year and a half. Uh, I want to talk to you about Jay Gruden and Alex Smith. When I read the comments, because I did not hear the press conference on Monday, but I read the transcript that the Redskins sent out, my first reaction was, Jay Gruden's a little bit frustrated with Alex
2: Smith. Yeah, Is that true? That's certainly how it comes across, yes. and Jay, Jay has not won who disguises some of that, his feelings very easily. No. So, you know, and so, yeah, it's certainly, you know, and the big thing that he talked about and, and listen, there's, I think there's some frustration, but there's also, there's part of it as a reality too. And, you know, what he talked about is that, yes, there are times where Alex Smith may lock onto a guy a little bit too long. We're not getting off of him too quick or he might be hesitate just a little bit on some of his throws, and that's all obvious to see. When you watch the games, when you watch the games, and you go back and watch them again, it's it's there. And there are you know multiple times, especially the last couple of games, where you can see that. Um, I thought it was better last week than it was against New Orleans, but but it was still there at times, and it and it, and it could have cost them. Um, so, you know, again, part of that I think is a frustration, and then again, part of it is you look at the who he's playing with. I'm meaning Smith and you were throwing to receivers who you haven't still worked a ton with, because this, my, one of my fears in training camp was a lot of these guys are coming off surgeries or just were in and out, in and out, in and out. And it takes time, I think, to build up some of that trust. Now, some of that trust, like the guy's open, stay with the play, trust the play trust the protection that will allow you to get there and sometimes I think maybe there's still some of that that absolutely needs to be developed.
0: I have a new theory on Jay Gruden and I'm going to bounce it off you. I want to know what you think. Um, I was with Mike Jones last night and he and I talked about this a little bit. I am starting to think that Jay Gruden, who was a quarterback, arena league quarterback but was a college quarterback and, and this is a position that he knows that no quarterback's going to be good enough for him that he's always going to feel like he's not getting the most out of that position because he knows it so well um and uh, you know he was in that position too of sort of being you know uh, uh, asked to do a lot and and perform maybe even at times beyond what his capability was but I Jay Gruden my my new theory let me net it out is that no quarterback unless it's Aaron Rodgers or Tom Brady or Drew Brees is ever going to be good enough for him
2: and that's possible. Listen, if you play point guard and you're coaching that's right team in basketball, you're going to be hardest on the point guard because the demands are a lot higher. Um, I also think for Gruden in this offense, I, I think it'd be okay if you didn't see a lot of things that were available that aren't being connected upon. Right, and I think that was a frustration last year, and it was a, and it's a frustration now. And, um, and I don't think it's just. Jay who feels that frustration um so yeah what I does think that mean the, what does that
0: mean the receivers are getting well, frustrated
2: I think, no i just say, no well I, I wouldn't even say the receivers just but in general you know you hear people like man there's a lot that we're leaving out there and and regardless of who's at fault because like i said sometimes it's because the line doesn't handle a stunt well sometimes it's because a guy drops a pass sometimes it's because the quarterback is not finding guys for whatever reason. Um, so you know, but I think there is a feeling that they're leaving stuff out there. And again, the Saints game, good lord, you go back and look at it, and there were about five or six plays in the first half where you say right. you hit this, and maybe not so much a different. you not maybe they don't win, but it's a different game, and the plays were there. And sometimes again, it's just it's there's a trust you've got like there. You know, there's a you, you've got to be able to trust that this guy is going to get there, or that you're going to have enough time in the pocket to hold that ball so it's like a split second more to make the cornerback decide am I coming up or am I sinking more and then throw off that. And that's kind of what's not happening. So, um, But, yeah, going back to your original point, I'm sure there's a definitely some of that because that is a position he played. It would be natural for him to think that way. Um, I think if there were more plays being made, I think he'd feel a lot better.
0: Do you think they realize that Adrian Peterson has become one of the keys to their entire season?
2: Yeah, yeah, I, I do. I think because they, 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 when you talk to them about him, they, there's almost like this marvel look in their eye, you know, like that what he has meant to them in many ways, not just, you know, just in the meeting rooms, in, in, in on the field, in, in, in the pass game even. Um, and so, yes, I think, you know, and I haven't said anybody, nobody's necessarily said that directly to me. But you'd have to, you'd be crazy not to think that because he has been a big – he's been the reason why they've won the three games because as long as when he's doing well, they do well. And I don't think that you're going to get a lot of that from – you're not going to get that production from somebody else at this point. So that's why like when Geis went down, my expectations for this team changed um, by a couple games because I felt like he was going to be that kind of a key for them and I didn't think anybody else could give them – what he could, and I think the same right now is true with Peterson. And he's still learning, by the way, what he needs to do in this offense and the pass he needs to take, the tempo he needs to go at um, when he's running certain plays, and they're asking him to do certain different things than he's done throughout his career. So there's a chance that he could get a little bit better in this offense.
0: All right. Uh, Is this the week they break the cycle of up one week, down the next, (laughs) and beat the Cowboys?
2: You know, I, I, I picked them to do that. Here, listen, Kevin, the most Redskins thing that could happen is they win Sunday and lose at the Giants. <laughs> um, that is like – that's well, almost the, what I'm ex- – It's not all
0: – at the Giants next week, I'm going to tell you right now, even before seeing the results
2: of this week's game, is not a lock. Oh, of course not. Yeah, But it's like you get that win at home and you beat a right. team that just played a really good game and now you're going to go face a struggling team on the road and it'll be the game where the headlines the next day is like, Eli's back. You <laughs> know, it would be something that would be the Redsk- the most redskins thing to happen. Um whether or not you know, we'll look at this week first. And I I picked them to win because I don't know that I trust the Dallas offense. The problem is that Dak Prescott used his legs really well last week yes. and has been running a lot more. That can pose problems. And then two, their run defense is really good. They're getting Sean Lee back. Um Demarcus Lawrence has given this team problems in the in the past game. Um, and so I think the key for me is like, if you can get, like, if they're getting three yards, three to four yards on first down, they're okay. It's, you know, the Colts game lost yardage on first down way too often. Yes. And they can't afford to dig out of a hole with their pass game. It's just not there. Um, so I think the key is if they can keep getting positive yards on first down with Peterson, then they have a chance to move it consistently. Now, the other thing, Kevin, like last year, I was looking at their games last year against Dallas. Watching the first meeting, like wow, they're not running the ball that great. Then you look at the line; it was like TJ Clemens, Quan, of course. Well, the Ruye, game and Ruye early at center in his career, and then it was Catalina. And Moses was going starter out
0: there. I think the, the 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 Dallas game in the rain at FedEx uh, was the most injured the team was offensively right. the entire year.
2: Yeah, and I think and I Seattle would rival that one too. Right, but,
0: Seattle also. Um, but yeah,
2: yeah. So and they actually. You know, I mean, in both those games that you're, you're only talking a couple plays that really turned it, and that the one in Dallas, they were in control of that game until you know the Crowder had the tipped interception, uh, and then you know they Oh yeah, that to score, was that was a and one-man you know, wrecking crew, Jamison Crowder. That oh, night, it was brutal. It was, brutal. It was brutal. But you but, know, the but, but I think, yeah, go ahead. But I would say, but I think you know, but the, this is a really good defense against the run, and if they can make the Redskins one-dimensional, then I think it's going to be really hard for the Redskins to win.
0: I completely agree with you. I think it's a, I think it's a difficult matchup. I, I don't think it's a great matchup for them. Uh, but if they're it, plus th-
2: not, but I think – yeah.
0: If they're plus three in the turnover margin again category, uh, they'll win the game like they did last week, or yeah, they'll, they'll they certainly have a chance to.
2: Yeah, because when you're not in that plus territory, then you have to make other plays. Right. And there, again, there were plays to be made in that past game. I mean, that – that drive before halftime could have cost them the game. And there were a couple of plays that Smith didn't make that could have cost. I mean, that's, that was on him and he's got to be better. And again, some of that is, you know, you just see there's that, I don't think he feels that trust just yet, whether it's with himself, with the line, with, with whomever, um, where you just, you sit back and you rip it and you watch like, you know, I know people hate comparing it, but with cousins the last couple of years, you could see that develop. And the more you're in an offense, and I'm sure in Kansas City they saw that develop with Smith. The more he was there, and then you get guys like Tariq Hill. But it's also, I think, there's a trust, throwing in rhythm, and that comes from trust. And so I don't, they're not there yet. And, you know, should they be? I don't – you know, it's only five games for him at this spot. I thought they would struggle early because of a lot of the in-and-outs, in-and-outs, in-and-outs. Um, so, you know, but I think they have to be better there because you can't keep relying line on the the running game at Peterson every week.
0: Thanks, John. As always, I'll talk to you soon. Appreciate it.
2: Thanks, Kevin. Enjoy it.
0: Let's get to some Friday football quick picks. Everything you need to know for your football weekend, it's Friday football quick picks. All right, this isn't the smell test. That's coming up uh, a little bit later. Uh, The smell test, another winning week last week. Uh, The best games of the weekend, picking the best games of the weekend. It's not a great college card tomorrow. Real quickly on Maryland, uh, they're at Iowa in one of those, you know, traditional Big Ten matchups, Terps at Hawkeyes. Uh, the second investigation uh, of the program, the one where they're trying to determine whether or not there was a toxic culture that led to Jordan McNair's death, that is apparently going to be out later today.
1: Well, the Board of Regents is going to get briefed on it. It uh, may not be out publicly, but yes, that is... Some big things are potentially happening.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's going to result one way or the other in DJ Durkin's either return or dismissal. And I don't have a clue as to what's going to happen. I have heard from the people that I know that are close to the program both results. Like, he's definitely coming back, and he's definitely gone. Uh, So I don't really have an, an idea what's going to happen. On the field, I was good. Maryland's chances in these games, um, really, you know it early in a game. Because on offense, if they aren't overwhelmed at the line of scrimmage and they're able to run the ball, then they have a chance to win these games. In the games in which it's very clear early on that they're dominated at the line of scrimmage and McFarlane and Ty Johnson and some of their fly sweeps with their fast guys on the outside don't work then their quarterback, Kasim Hill, can't be effective throwing the ball. If they can't run it, I can tell you this about this Maryland football team. It's really obvious to all of us, all of you watching it. Kasim Hill's not going to throw them to a win. Not this year. Not yet, anyway. They're only a nine-point underdog. I find that interesting. NC State-Clemson's a big game tomorrow on the college card. Uh, This is the game where, basically, if Clemson... Isn't going to be in the playoff. It's pretty much because they're going to lose to NC State tomorrow, but they're 17 and a half point favorites. Clemson has Florida State. That's not going to be a problem for them for them this year. They do play at Boston College in a month or so. BC's pretty good and capable, but Ryan Finley is the guy that has a chance against Clemson on their schedule. He's the best quarter quarterback they'll face. If you don't know about Ryan Finley, he's 23 years old. He's going to more likely than not be the first quarterback taken in the NFL draft next spring. Clemson's defense is just so good. I would love to see NC State pull this off, get some new blood into the ACC race. Maybe knock Clemson out of the playoff uh, race. Uh, NC State had a chance last year in Raleigh to beat him. They had the ball late down seven, uh, and Finley couldn't get him into the end zone uh lsu mississippi state t- uh, tomorrow night in the sec is an interesting game because if lsu alabama is to be the game of the year which it it, it appears right now we're heading towards lsu's got to win tomorrow night in baton rouge they're only a six and a half point favorite after they destroyed georgia last week that could be a smell test pick coming up mississippi state's good really good on defense their two losses were to florida and kentucky those aren't bad losses there's some payback in this one, though, for LSU. The Tigers lost last year in Starkville by 30. Game day tomorrow, ESPN game day, is in Pullman, Washington. That's so cool. For the first time ever. Um, Washington State's 5-1. and one. They lost a three-point game to USC. They're favored by three over Oregon. Oregon. You know, Oregon last week beat Washington, knocking them out of the playoff picture. Oregon's one loss was to Stanford in overtime, really a game they should not have lost in regulation. Uh, If you want to say that the Pac-12 has a shot at the playoff, which really I don't think they do now, then Oregon's got to win out and be a one-loss team. Um, but their their non conference schedule was so weak. I I think the Pac 12s out. It, I mean, barring some really really crazy things
2: happening, but yes. the only
0: possibility would be a one loss yes. Oregon team. Yes. Uh, beware Ohio State and West Lafayette, Indiana tomorrow night. Purdue's a good team. They can score really score, uh, and that place is going to be ginned up. Cold weather. Just keep an eye on that game Sunday. Um, the best games to 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 sort of watch. You know, you get an early game, you get a 9.30 a.m. London game, which is always nice. Uh, Titans and Chargers. I don't know what to make of the Chargers. I've always thought the Chargers were ready to win a Super Bowl with that quarterback because I love Phillip Rivers. They haven't had Joey Bosa all year long. They haven't beaten anybody, really. and But their two losses were to Kansas City and the Rams. Now, they did go to Cleveland last week and win a one-sided game. Meantime, Tennessee got blanked by Baltimore in one of the more one sided statistical beatdowns you will ever see. Tennessee had 106 total yards of offense in the game. Nine offensive drives, nine punts, five three and outs. Wow. That is hard to do in this day and age of the NFL and the offenses in the NFL having the advantages that they have. I believe it's because Baltimore's defense is really that good. The Chargers are six-and-a-half-point favorites. The other games on Sunday, Pats at Chicago is an interesting game coming off that big win in that thrilling game Sunday night in Foxboro. They're only laying three against the Bears, who lost to Miami. Uh, Minnesota three uh, laying three-and-a-half in New York against the Jets. The Jet fan base, the Jet team, Jet management, they want Kirk Cousins' blood. They think he embarrassed them during this free agency process, that they that he used them. And they want to beat the snot out of Minnesota and Kirk Cousins in particular. And I will say this, the Jets are good defensively. Good team, and they can run the football. Uh, Philly Panthers, <clears throat> that's a big game, obviously, for the Redskins. Uh, Carolina is capable of going into Philadelphia and winning. The Eagles are laying four and a half at home. I think the best game of the day is the Ravens and the Saints. It matches the best defense in the NFL against one of the two or three best offenses in the NFL.
1: It definitely, it potentially says, all right, has the NFL skewed it? Where it used to be a good defense, always be a good offense. Have the rules changed enough that it's no longer the case?
0: The Ravens are going to get these opportunities. They play the Saints. They play the Chiefs at Arrowhead. They play the Chargers. They play the Steelers again. They play the Bengals again. So that vaunted defense and it's good and i think it's still one of those defenses that could travel in january and win a game against a good offensive team but we'll see what it looks like sunday in baltimore uh we won't be able to see that game because it's on at four o'clock um and the redskins cowboys game but that game will have some weather to it just like dc will you know it's going to be cold like upper 40s low uh, low 50s with wind on sunday uh chiefs Bengals is the sunday night flexed game that should be a good game i want to see what the Bengals can do at arrowhead i actually think they'll keep this game competitive uh things i'm looking forward to seeing this weekend i've already mentioned ravens defense against saints offense cousins against the jets and i'm looking forward to seeing what michigan does against michigan state and i'll tell you why i think michigan's really really good and I think they are capable of beating Ohio State at the end of the year and being in the discussion for one of those four playoff spots. Michigan State beat Penn State last week. I think Michigan's going to destroy Michigan State uh, in this game. Uh, I just think it's a one-sided, beat down at the line of scrimmage defensively against Michigan State's offense, which is not very good this year. But I want to see just how good Michigan is after their big win over Wisconsin and Michigan State's big win at Penn State. On upset alert, I would mention the following teams. Ohio State, LSU, Oregon, and the Vikings on Sunday. Uh, Let me tell you about Farish Chrysler Dodge Jeep in Fairfax. They are... The go to if you're considering something new, go to farishcars.com right now. If not now, after you listen to this podcast, but you can just put this podcast on hold and go to farishcars.com right now because the best part of about uh, best part about a podcast is you can listen whenever you want, however you want, from wherever you want. Uh, Farish, uh, farishcars.com is the perfect website if you're looking for a new or used vehicle, and when you get to their homepage. Kevin Farish and Ralph Perkins are smart. They they do everything in an easy and very intuitive way. You get to their website, there are three big bars there with three choices – New inventory, used inventory, or schedule service. It's pretty much what you want from a car dealership. You want to know where the new cars are, where the used car, cars are, and, oh, I've got a car, i got a schedule service. They make it easy for you. I've been friends with Ralph Perkins and Kevin Farish for a decade plus. They're smart. They know what you as the customer wants. I promise you that if you give them a chance, they won't disappoint. Their sales team is experienced. Most of their sales reps have been at Farish for 20-plus years years and their service department is the best if you've got a scheduled service with them you're in and out quickly right now it'll take you two clicks at farishcars.com to get their live inventory with live pricing and their best deals too they've got plenty of inventory on the lot right now lots of jeeps the compass sport the compass latitude jeep renegades plenty of jeep cherokees grand cherokees and wranglers if you're thinking about a minivan right now there are plenty of chrysler pacificas on farish's lot the deals are as good as you'll get all year long they are located right in fairfax circle ask for ralph if you go out there tell him i sent you you can also find out everything farish has right now including live inventory and pricing at farishcars.com Time to bring in Mike Shanahan, uh, of course, uh, former Redskins coach, but of course former Denver Broncos coach and two-time Super Bowl winning uh, head coach uh, in Denver. And I always love talking to you and talking to you about football, whether it's on the air or off the air. And when I had you on the show a few weeks ago, You said what I think is the right answer for anybody that's watched the NFL, which is you really don't know anything for four or five weeks. It's really hard to predict because it's a week-to-week league um, and not really, you, you know, what you saw last year doesn't necessarily translate to the next year. So we've had four or five games. The Redskins, well, six weeks in the NFL, the Redskins have played five games Um, The Redskins have been, Mike, up one week, down the next. What do you make of them so far, what you've seen through their five games?
3: You know, what I really like what they're doing is uh, how they're playing defense right now. When you take a look at their point production this year, I think they're ranked eighth. You take a look at yards, they're ranked fifth. But the thing that's been impressive as a team, both offensively and defensively, but let's start out with defense, they're ranked fourth in the National Football League. So, when I look at a team and I look at them at the end of the season, if you could have those numbers pretty consistent, you're going to be in the playoffs and you got a chance to do something once you get there. In fact, the last time they were that high with points, yards, and takeaway giveaway ratio was 1991 with Joe Gibbs when they were two in points, three in yards, and one in takeaways. Same thing back in 82 when they won the Super Bowl. So those stats – for a defense really stand out to me, and so far so good. I know it's only five games in, but that's pretty impressive with a defense that has not had that since 1991.
0: You know, I, I I hear what you're saying, and I think one of the things that's been obvious to every Redskin fan is that they are more talented defensively, especially up front uh, with Payne and John Allen. They did have that opener against Arizona, who was pretty much dead on arrival in that opener, which, you know, skewed some of the, I think, defensive numbers, because Arizona just wasn't capable on that given day of doing much uh, offensively. Um, but they are better defensively, and I think everybody notices that. Uh, up front, what what do you think of, of, of John Allen in his second year? You know, he was hurt for a big portion of last year. And the new guy, Deron Payne, the two Alabama guys, they seem to be like legit interior defensive talents, which this team has lacked for a, a long, long time.
3: Yeah, they're legitimate football players. You know, when they came in, coming from that uh, organization, Alabama, Uh, you know, one of the best and how they practice, how they play. But uh, they look exceptional, and, you know, that's one of the reasons why their defense has been so different this year.
0: Jay Gruden, Mike, said that Alex, he said this Monday after the the game in the Monday press conference, he said he's holding on too long to his first receiver instead of moving quickly to the next one. What are you seeing uh, with Alex Smith so far?
3: Number one, you know, when you take a look at a guy like Alex, he's been pretty consistent throughout his career of not turning the football over. The thing that's been impressive to me is how they've changed their offense. If you take a look at the variety of personnel groups, if it's two tight ends, three tight ends, or the different uh, people they put in, they do just about everything. But what I've been really impressed with is they're running the football more. Uh, They're going to give the... uh, offensive line, and the running back, a chance to have success. But when you take a look at their creativity on offense, they've been pretty impressive with the quarterback keeps and nakeds. Not only do they run the zone raids, but the RPOs with every type of run action possible. There's not a lot of people that do that. They run inside traps, outside traps, screens of all types with the backs, receivers, and tight ends. And I think they have a chance to do something as the year goes on because of the creativity they have right now with their run offense.
0: How important is it for Adrian Peterson to be healthy and to continue to play at this level for them to succeed offensively?
3: I've really been surprised on how well he's played. I had no idea he could play that well, and he had that type of skill set still, uh, you know, at his age, and obviously with a few injuries. But he's been very impressive.
0: You know, I was thinking about you earlier this week and and last week because one of the the things um, that's come out of the last few games is that Jordan Reed isn't getting enough balls thrown his way. He's not getting enough touches. I think everybody looks at them offensively and sees 86, sees Jordan Reed as the most talented player on the offensive uh, side of the ball, if not the entire team. And the answers typically from Alex Smith and, and Jay Gruden are, look, the, uh, the defense is dictating that the ball gets thrown elsewhere. When that is the case, do you still try to force – the ball to your best player when you don't have a lot of weapons out there like Jordan Reed? If the defense is taking a player like that away, how do you still get him the ball?
3: Well, to me, first of all, on your first and second down offense, you know, you're know, you going to run the ball, you're going to have your play action passes where you have your big plays, and you're going to try to attack a defense and then all of a sudden come up with some big plays, and anybody can get the ball. Or a guy like Jordan Reed where you utilize him as in the third down package, when it's third down and five, third down and six, maybe third down and uh, two or three, or you know they're playing man coverage and you have the ability to put them inside or outside, or he's going against some some guy that's playing him man to man. You can't cover him man to man now with a linebacker, not with a safety. He's got such a skill set, so you got to utilize him then, and you got to be able to move him all over the field. But you're not going to get him unless it's a you know, maybe one-on-one where he split out with against a linebacker or maybe a safety on first and second down where you can take advantage of it like you do on third down and that's where you know his expertise or his skill sets really come in
0: but would you ever look at a box score at the end of a game with a player like Jordan, you know, a, a, a real good player that didn't get targeted or only got targeted two or three times in a game and say to yourself, that's not enough?
3: Well, I know i do this myself if you had a guy with his type of ability at the end of the game, or maybe at the end of a few, few games, you said okay, what was your game plan if we're going to utilize his skills as much as we can? Can we put him in a position better next time than we did the time before? Because we only targeted him one or two times. And I think as a coach, you always do that. But sometimes, you know, they can take a good player away, especially if they double-team him. So the rest of your players got to get open and they've got to find a way to you know offset what defense is doing
0: you know i remember when you would take the podium after a game a lot of times you know tony wiley or somebody would bring over the the final stat sheet and hand it to you what what was the first number what was the first thing you would look at uh at the end of a game when it came to the stat sheet the statistics
3: well it's kind of as you go through the nfl i think it's it's been different depending on what type of team you're on but at the end, I would always take a look at my run-pass ratio. On first and second down, was I close to 50% running the ball to passing the ball? Could I keep a defense honest? And if you can keep a defense on, honest on first and second down, then you've got a chance to take a little pressure off that offensive line. You could take a little pressure off your running game and your passing game by running the ball to defensively. We've got to play the run. And so all of a sudden, your offensive line can take off uh, the ball a lot quicker in the running game, and then all of a sudden, when you set up your play-action plays, you got a chance to get some big plays as well. So that's one thing I would look at. And normally, if you got a good running game, the yards per pass really increase drastically. So I would always look at myself from an offensive play caller, look at that perspective. You know, there's and defensively on the other yeah. side. Can can you stop the run? Can we put them in a one-dimensional game? Can we make them throw the ball? Where we got a chance for turnovers in a big place.
0: And that'll be important Sunday against Dallas in particular. And I want to get to that in a moment. But. The Redskins won last week, Mike, and I called it sort of the old-style formula for winning in the NFL. They won the turnover battle. They were plus three there. They didn't commit a lot of penalties. They played good special teams. They were balanced offensively. They won the field position battle, and they won a 23-17 to 17 game um, that didn't really ask the quarterback to go out and throw it 40 times for 390 yards and three touchdowns, which is what we're seeing around the a league a lot more especially you know the game sort of it's sort of been from a rules perspective um, it's turned into that it's it's almost uh, you know a disadvantage not to take advantage of of the rules that allow you to throw the ball down the field but the Redskins didn't necessarily last week and they won a game do you still subscribe to that old style if that's what you, that's the way I refer to it that formula of win the turnover battle be balanced special teams field position and you got a chance to win a game
3: no i thought it was a perfect game plan in fact that's the only way you beat a team like carolina they're so well coached defensively they have got such good personnel if you don't have a game plan like that against them you're going to turn the football over and even though you may have some great stats you're not going to win the football game they dominated that football game against an excellent football team but they had every conceivable type of run zones RPOs like I said you know the screens they did all the little things you needed to do obviously they want to finish a little bit better because they could have actually blown them out with the turnover battle but uh you got to find a way to win. And to me, that was a formula for winning against a good football team.
0: All right, they get Dallas uh, at home. Um, you know, this rivalry has been so important to this city for so long. And in recent years, the Cowboys have dominated the Redskins. They've won the last four, six of the last seven. It's been a while since there's been, you know, sort of a big feel to a Redskin Cowboy game. And I'm not suggesting that this one's a big one, but standings wise, it's big. I mean, the winner's going to be in first place in the NFC East. Um, You mentioned, you know, staying balanced um, and, and defensively making teams one dimensional. Is that the key to beating Dallas in Dak Prescott and Zeke Elliott?
3: Well, you better because Dallas, Dallas he's got, they've got the formula right now relative to um, how to win football games. When you take a look at their you know, rush offense, you take a look at how uh, the points, where they're at, you take a look at the yards where they're at, uh, their takeaway-giveaway ratio, you know, seventh against the rush, eighth against the pass on defense. and Those are the type of things that you have to do to uh, win football games, and that's why they played as well as they did last week. But, yeah, I do recommend that. Against a good football team, especially when they've got some good stats on defense, you really have to play that way in order to beat a football team like that.
0: Is Dallas a good matchup or not for the Redskins Sunday?
3: I think they'll be tested because, you know, their defense is so consistent. Like I said, when you take a look at what they are against the rush, what they are against the pass, I think what you have to do is – Make sure that you keep off balance. They're not sure if you're running the ball. They're not sure if you're passing the ball. Because if you get into a passing game against them and you get away from your game plan, you will turn the football over and you will lose the game.
0: You know, um, we've talked a lot about you know the quarterback is, as a run option and what it does to a defense being 11-on-11 11 11 in the run game. And Dallas got back to that last week with Prescott. Um, and it, it makes them uh, a lot more dangerous than perhaps they were in the first few games. Uh, the league, so we're, we're six weeks into it. Um, is there, is, well, who do you like so far? Is there a team flying under the radar a little bit that you think will make a run? What have you seen? Who do you really like, you know, around the league?
3: Well, like I said, the th- teams I really take a look at, is you know, teams that, you know, that takeaway giveaway ratio, uh, where it's in their favor. Cause at the end of the year, you can, you, you, you got to take care of the football. If you do take care of the football, you've got a chance to do something because you can get hot on offense or defense, but at the end of the day, if you're not taking care of it or you're not getting turnovers, over, the chances of winning aren't very good. But when you take a look at a team like Kansas City and you say, holy cow, can you win with a defense that's given up that right. type of yards and that type of production? Can you? And Well, you know, offensively, you better keep up playing at that level and not turn the football over. And that's what they're doing they're, you know, playing that way offensively as a team, they're not losing a turnover ratio and if they do, then the chances are they're not going to win even with the type of offense they have.
0: I mean, I'm anxious um, or excited uh, to see some of the matchups down the road like Baltimore's defense against Kansas City. We're going to see that at Arrowhead um, later on in the season. And In this year of just offensive explosion everywhere, Mike, the, the points are up and the yards are up and the passing yards are way up. Do defensive teams like Baltimore have a chance?
3: Well, I mean, you, to me what you just said, I mean, Baltimore has a great defense. They've been playing so consistent. And then you say, okay, how, how does a team like Kansas City have a chance against that type of defense? Well, you play man-to-man coverage, and all of a sudden you give their skill set a chance to go one-on-one, and you give the quarterback a little bit of time or the ability to escape outside the pocket. They will make plays because they got difference makers. Not very often do you see – a skill set like you do at the running back and receiver position, and then the quarterback can get, get out of pressure. So defensively, you better play good. But Baltimore does have the ability, if they control their receivers, their skill set, them knock into big play, keep the quarterback in the pocket. Baltimore is going to be hard to beat.
0: Yeah, I agree with you on that. What do you think of Patrick Mahomes? You, you, you know quarterbacks better than anybody. Um, does he look like the next you know Aaron Rodgers to you?
3: Well, when I've, You know, when I study him, he he's uh, he does not go to the second receiver very quickly. So if the first guy's open, boy, he hits that guy, I mean, big time. I mean, he's very accurate. But if he, he has to go second or third guy in his progression and he stays in the pocket, he's not very consistent there. But when he does get out of the pocket, he can make plays that most human beings can't make. I mean, you got to go back to the, you know, Aaron Rodgers or Brett Favre or the John Elway's or Steve Young, different guys like that that can make those plays. But, but he is really such a talented guy, and that progression will come with time because you can tell he's a sharp guy. He studies He studies the game. I've heard so many things about it. So he just needs those repetition. but uh, he is really something.
0: Are the Rams the best team you've seen all year with your former assistant coach uh, leading them in Sean McVay?
3: I think they're going to be hard to beat, and this is why, they, you know, first of all, from an offensive perspective, they know they, they've got to run the football. And, you know, he's got that ratio down I mean, relative to that 50% first and second down. He's going to keep a defense off balance. And then he's going to come up with the big plays, play-action plays, off of his best running game, and he knows how to attack different coverages. So he's always going to be up there, you know, in a and point production at the tops in his running game is, of course, running back is a freak of nature. I mean, he can, he can do it all. He can, he can make plays when uh, there's no holes. But his ability, Sean's ability to attack those coverages, the different coverages that he will see, off the same type of running game play action, he is going to continually come up with big plays. Now, when you take a look at the defense, you know, they've been very consistent. I mean, not like it's great. They just kind of make sure they're same thing that giveaway takeaway ratio is very you know consistent or very at least um, they're in a situation where they're not going to one extreme or the other, and they should be very, very hard to beat.
0: What does Minnesota look like? Uh, you know, everybody's just sitting here that's listening to me talk to you is probably saying he hasn't even asked him about Kirk yet. so I'll finish up with Kirk. Um, what do you make of the Vikings and his performance so far this year?
3: Well, I mean, the way he's played, it obviously, is unbelievable, the pressure they put on him, because they don't have much of a running game. They don't have much of a play-action game. You take a look at their game, you take a look at the consistencies on offense and defense, and usually very tough on the quarterback, Uh, you know, just looking at the run-pass ratio and the things we just talked about, you know, with a running game, play-action play. They really don't have that right now, so he actually has, you know, a lot of weight on his shoulders with what they're doing offensively, and if they get that running game going, it'll take a lot of pressure off him, and defensively they got to get back to where they were. I haven't studied them very much, obviously, except for the first game, but Obviously, we know the talent they do have. It'll be interesting to see how they finish.
0: I I watched the Monday night game, and I, I thought, first of all, and I said this on Tuesday on the podcast, for whatever reason, you Shanahans know how to run the football. It's unbelievable whether it's you or Kyle. You guys just have figured out the, the, the secret sauce in, in running the football in the NFL. Um, it was a shame because they, they had – it looked like after that kickoff return and the 15-yard penalty that they would have a chance to get in field goal range. But that Aaron Rodgers is pretty good, isn't
3: he? Yeah, you can't give him that many opportunities. They had a chance to put the game away uh, half a dozen times, and they didn't. And they'll learn from it. But you can't give a guy with that type of uh, athletic ability a chance to do what he normally does in the fourth quarter. But they dominated the football game, as you could see. But it doesn't mean anything in the National Football League unless you find a way to win.
0: When do you talk to Kyle after a game? Right after the game, the next day, midweek? When?
3: You know, usually what I'll do is text him or something about, you know, after the game on what I thought about the game. And then I'll get a chance to talk to him the next day after I look at all the, you know, look at the game from a. Offense and defense perspective. It's you get a feel sometimes, but until you actually look at the film, you really don't know.
0: Defensively, there at the end, they had to keep the ball in the middle of the field. They threw three straight to the sideline and got out of bounds with no timeouts left.
3: Oh, I know, especially with that. uh, You know, with a guy like Aaron Rodgers, and for that, for I mean, they had a chance to put it away so many times. Take a look at the two deep and the three D three deep. Hopefully, they learn from it because. You're not going to win a lot of games unless you, you know, especially play one of the better quarterbacks a lot smarter than they did.
0: I love doing this. You well? Everything good?
3: Yeah, doing great. Thanks, yeah. My hamstring's healed up. I got no excuses, so I'm ready to go.
0: All right. Well, <laughs> that that means you'll just swing a little bit harder. Uh, when sure you're that's exactly the right. That's All right. exactly right. Mike, thanks so much. I always enjoy it. Uh, I'll talk to you soon.
3: Okay, Kev. Take care. Bye-bye.
0: Always good to catch up with Mike Shanahan. Uh, He watches a lot of football, watches a lot of film, and we will do that periodically through the rest of the year. Let's get to the smell test.
2: Kevin looks
0: where the John Q public is putting their cash and does the opposite. It's It's time time for for the smell smell test. test. It's not just that, um, but it does take into consideration where public money is, uh, but there's a lot more to it. As some of you know, uh, I have spent time in warm tropical places with, various people who i know that let's just say uh have run businesses that operate on the other side of the betting equation so i get information uh, on public action sharp action all of it sort of comes together in a big pot to produce the smell test pick 11 and 7 last week 10 and 4 on my college smell test picks and i said last week on friday that i felt like i really had some clarity on the college football board and it turned out one and three in the NFL last weekend but still over the last month 13-5-1 on the NFL picks. Uh, Let's get to this weekend. Not a lot. Last weekend Aaron and I had 18 smell test selections. Uh, Not this week. Uh, It's going to be much fewer this week. 40-30-3 is the record on the season. Let's start in college, and I'm just going to rip through these games. Um, don't ask why. Just play them. New Mexico State plus 11-and-a-half against Georgia Southern is one of the biggest public uh, plays of the weekend. Georgia Southern is. Take New Mexico State plus the 11-and-a-half, and there's sharp money on New Mexico State as well. Same with New Mexico. We got both big New Mexico schools in the smell test this week. Plus 13-and-a-half against Fresno. Uh, I'll buy that to, uh, to, to plus to 14. You should as well. I use scoresandodds.com's Friday lines. Sometimes they don't work well for me, uh, but I'm taking those numbers, even if it's a bad number. New Mexico, plus 13.5 against Fresno. Washington State's favored against Oregon. Oregon just had that big win over Washington, and you don't see – uh big public action on one side uh with underdogs that often it happens uh, it happened a couple of times uh this weekend and i'll get to the other one here in a moment but washington state laying three against oregon is not only an anti-public play but there is sharp money according to my information on washington state as well pullman will be nuts for this game game day's there Uh, take Washington State laying three, and that will officially, I think, knock the Pac-12 out of the playoff race. I don't think they're in it now anyway, even if Oregon ran the table. Washington's laying a huge number, laying 17 to Colorado. Colorado was undefeated before last week's loss. The number is perceived to be too big by most, so the public is actually on the dog once again. Give me the Huskies laying the 17 and I'll do the same thing with Clemson and I know I made a big mistake or it wasn't a big mistake but it was a mistake thinking that 25 was way too big against Syracuse which it was and that somehow Clemson would cover that number they barely won the game I'll do it with Clemson one more time NC State's undefeated uh the action really is more on NC State and there is sharp action on Clemson pushing that number higher get it now because I think it's going to be at 17 and a half and maybe even 18 by, ga- by game time. Clemson minus 17 against NC State is the play. I like TCU plus eight against Oklahoma. Uh, TCU has struggled to score. They're a very good defensive team, though. Uh, the public thinks it's a short number. They're playing the favorite minus eight. Take TCU plus the eight on Saturday. So those are the Saturday picks. I'll tell you, I, I would lean towards Temple, Duke, Purdue, and Mississippi State. But for a lot of reasons, they didn't make the, the uh, didn't make the smell test. But I like them. I probably will personally have them. But the smell test college picks are New Mexico State, New Mexico, Washington State, Washington, TCU, and Clemson. Let's go to Sunday, where Tennessee is a seven-point underdog in London against the Chargers. Now, Tennessee, the last time we saw them was against Baltimore, where they couldn't score, <clears throat> they couldn't make a first down for the most part. They punted nine times on nine drives and were humiliated uh, against the Ravens at home. Now they're playing the Chargers, who have looked impressive against teams that aren't that great, although I would call the win over Cleveland a good win on the road. I had Cleveland last week. Uh, I love them. Sharp money all over Cleveland last week right before kickoff. The line went to Cleveland minus one uh, in that game Um, But, uh, you know, you don't win them all. And the Chargers are good. I like them as a team. You, You know I'm a big Phillip Rivers fan. And if they get Bosa back here at some point, they're nasty defensively. But the public loves the Chargers laying seven. I like Tennessee plus the seven. Public also all over New England. And there is sharp money on Chicago. Uh, Get this right now at plus three. Uh, You're going to see some plus two and a halves out there uh, over the weekend. Uh, Give me the Bears plus three at home. I like the Browns on the road catching three and a half against Jameis Winston and the Buccaneers who lit it up offensively against Atlanta and really should have covered. I still can't believe that Dan Quinn put Matt Bryan out there for a 57-yard field goal to stretch the lead from two to five Uh, a 57 yard field goal if he had missed it Tampa was one completion away uh, and not a long completion away from field goal range to win that game Uh, the public likes Tampa I like Cleveland plus the three and a half uh, in Tampa and then Sunday night the public's all over the Chiefs I mean recent impressions and good god did they roll up some offense against new england and foxborough in what was one of the more memorable regular season nfl games uh, in recent memory and the chiefs right now are becoming a very popular public team that line is sitting there at about six uh the bengals to me are the play plus the six at arrowhead take them i'd lean carolina At Philly, but not enough there to make it a smell test pick. So recapping, New Mexico State, New Mexico, Washington State, Washington, TCU, and Clemson on Saturday, and then the Titans, Bears, Browns, and Bengals on Sunday. Uh, Let's bring in Andy Poland for Some reminiscing of Redskins Cowboys. This is what Andy's doing with me uh, each week. We're talking about sort of the great games. I think you've got a new spin on it, which I asked you to do this week because you and I, I think, have spent the better part of the last – Uh, you know, 13, 14 years together uh, before Dallas games, talking about all the great games. So what's your new spin to it this week? Well, I've just done FedEx Field because if you take the home
1: games against Dallas, it's a very easy list. It's the two championship games and the Ken Houston game. I don't think there's anything close to those three. Do you?
0: Say that again. The two championship games. Yeah. 72 New Year's Uh, Eve. You're saying in terms of the most memorable home wins or losses against the Cowboys? Yeah. Uh, The Ken Houston game, the two championship games, the Kilmer Sneak game, the Rocket Ishmael game in terms of a loss. Well, I'll get to that. Um, Now, championship games. I mean, think about
1: what it meant to this team in 72, and think about the great we-want-Dallas game in 83, and then Ken Houston on Monday Night Football. I don't think you can match those two. Okay. Before we get started, I want to ask you a question. Okay. Can you imagine 30 years ago if they said, on, say, the Harden and Weaver show, Sonny Jurgensen is going to be downtown. That's basically what this is right now. Pretty much. (laughs) But Sonny Jurgensen is going to be downtown.
0: He has a pair of Cowboy Redskin tickets to give away. I already already mentioned it today. I mentioned it. He would need... Cooley's down there throwing tickets yeah. out to anybody that wanted him. He would need police protection so they wouldn't tear him apart. Now I talked to Cooley. You know, some of those pictures that he that he tweeted out looked like he was all by himself, but he said he the place the places he went, they he was mobbed and that there was a lot of interest. But of course, it's it's <laughs> absolutely unbelievable to think that. Chris Cooley went downtown giving Redskins Cowboys tickets out for free yeah. to anybody who wanted them. Oh, my pretty God.
1: Much. I mean, pe- I know. people used to offer, like, use of a house for a week if you had a pair of tickets. I know It's unbelievable. All right, here, I, what I've done is the worst three at FedEx Field and the best three okay. at FedEx Field. Worst, third worst, December 14, 2003. This was the Tim Hasselback quincy Carter matchup. Carter threw for 108 yards and was sacked three times. Those aren't very good numbers. Spurrier's last game at home. Uh yeah, right. Yeah. And Tim Hasselback threw up a Blutarski 0.0 quarterback rating. Six of twenty-six for fifty-six yards, four interceptions. Twenty-seven they, nothing. Twenty-seven nothing. It was terrible. But
0: you, are you
1: going to mention what the, the Spurrier Hugh Jackson thing before that game? Well, I think he'd already taken back the
0: play calling from Hugh Jackson. And Spurrier, it was so cold that day; it was raining or sleeting yeah. sideways, and he was bundled up in that coat and counting down the minutes till he could get to the locker room yeah. and get back to Florida. He said,
1: "You know, in the first game we played Dallas, they blitzed us a whole bunch. They didn't do it this time. Kind of surprised us." Uh, here's number two, September 12th, 1999, which you mentioned. This is the Ishmael game. Uh, Cowboys 41, Redskins 35, Dallas up 14-3. Then the Skins go ahead 35-14. Yep. Then uh, Emmett Smith scores a touchdown. Get two more to Michael Irvin. Uh, Skins could have won in regulation. Brett Conway missed a 41-yard field goal. And then in overtime, Rocket Ishmael catches a 76-yard touchdown pass to beat the Redskins. Here's the worst for me. December 27th, 2009, Cowboys 17, Redskins nothing. This was the week after the swinging gate game against the Giants. Against the Giants. So this was Sunday night football. This is national TV. Tony Romo against Jason Campbell. Campbell was sacked four times. Uh, He was intercepted once. Cowboys held the ball for 35 minutes. I mean, if you watch that game, the Redskins were never a threat to score. They were totally overmatched by a not great Cowboy team. And I just felt at that point, this is as
2: low as so it gets. So you,
0: you are really doing the worst in terms of also just ugliness. Because to me, the worst loss at home would have been uh, to the Cowboys. There were a couple of them. First of all, the 91 game that, that stopped their 11-0 and 0 streak You right. know, and in the, in, in, stopped their undefeated yeah. season. But that's RFK. Oh, oh! You're saying FedEx Field. My fault. Yeah, my fault. Okay, you're good. Here's the best. (laughs) You're good. Here's
1: the best for FedEx. I thought we agreed on this. I actually texted you. You know, you're getting to be like Harden and Weaver. I'm not coachable. (laughs) No, you're really not. November fifth, two thousand six. This is the third best for me. Redskins twenty-two, Cowboys nineteen. Now, this was a bad year for Joe Gibbs. It's worst ever. Yep. Five and eleven. Bill Parcells is the coach of the Cowboys, but. This was great. Nick Novak missed a 49-yard field goal with 35 seconds left. That would have put the Skins ahead. Tony Romo gets the Cowboys down to the Skins 17. Six seconds left. Mike Vanderjack, who's pretty much automatic, 35-yard field goal. That's going to end the game. Troy Vinson, who was playing one of his last games in the NFL – blocks the kick Sean Taylor picks it up runs it to the 44 of Dallas but there's a face mask another 15 yards added on Novak kicks a 47 yard field goal after time
0: had expired Sean Taylor just picked up that ball and was not going to be denied and I will tell you this Andy I'll never forget when I saw the face mask and I saw the flag you know a lot of people didn't know the rule and I'm like Untimed down. Mm-hmm. They're going to have a chance to kick this thing. Yep. And it was really one of the most incredible sort of turn of events at the end of a game. You're expecting to get beat with a walk-off field goal. And instead, you're kicking the walk-off field yep. goal to win the game. Number two, December
1: 18, 2005. Redskins 35, Cowboys 7. This was the third of five straight wins to end the season. Remember, they had been 5 and 6. Cooley's
0: three touchdown game. Cooley,
1: there has to be as uh, Cooley said this is the best game yeah. of his career? Yes. It has to be. Because he had touchdowns of 8, 2, and 30 yards from Mark Brunel. It was 28 nothing at the half, 35 nothing after three. It's the largest margin of victory over the Cowboys ever. And they beat the Giants and Eagles to get to 10-6 and six and went to the playoffs. Best. And I think this is... Indisputable.
0: Yeah, the RG3. Yeah, December 30th, ender.
1: 2012, Redskins 28, Cowboys 18. Redskins come into this 9-6, and six. Cowboys are 8-7, and seven, but there's a tiebreaker so that if Dallas it's wins. for the division. Yeah, they win the division title. And the Skins went up 21-10 with 10 and a half minutes to go. Then Romo hits Kevin Ogletree for 10-yard touchdowns, 21-18. They went for two and got it. Cowboys get the ball to tie or win the game.
0: Rob Jackson.
1: Rob Jackson intercepted it. Third of three picks uh, on the night for Romo. Alfred Morris scores a touchdown with just a minute to go. Morris's numbers on that day: thir- two hundred flat, right? Three hundred, thirty-three carries, two hundred yards, three touchdowns. You
0: know what, Andy? That Alfred Morris performance in a game for the division in the season finale. As a Redskins fan, I don't think we talk about that ever as being one of the best big game performances in Redskins history. Not only he that, went for
1: two hundred yards. Not only that, the Cowboys had to know that Archie Three was compromised.
0: Right, he they, was.
1: They played Philadelphia the week before. He handed off in that game. Philadelphia was terrible.
0: He didn't want to run the breed option in I that think, game.
1: I think Nick Fo- wasn't Nick Foles the quarterback of the Eagles then. I think he was. Might have been a rookie. I
0: don't remember I quarterback so, the quarterback the Eagles. But that anyway, day. he
1: he was clearly compromised. So they knew the Redskins had to run the ball, and they did so effectively. And then after the game, RG three shakes Romo's hand and says, "Don't worry, pal. There'll be other days for you." And uh, and then he puts his arm around <laughs> Alfred Morris and he says, You're, good. "You're a good player." Yeah. And he puts his arm around Alfred Morris. He says, "Look at those people up in the stands. Look how happy we made them." <laughs>
0: Oh, my God. <laughs> and then, what, a week A week later? Well, one week later was yeah. really one of the infamous, the infamous games in franchise history. Yeah. Uh, all right, let's finish this. Thank you for doing that. Yeah. But I want you to stick around because I want to hear your Redskins score and more prediction. Okay. Time to settle the score. is score and more. All right, Redskins final score prediction with Andy here uh, with a footnote. Go ahead
1: i just don't see the redskins beating the cowboys in this game and they, this is this is their pattern right look good one week look bad the next i don't know if they'll necessarily look bad i don't see them scoring more than 17 points so i think the cowboys win this 21 to 17 though adrian peterson has a pretty good day surprisingly against a good dallas run defense i say he has 85 yards and a touchdown
0: if he has a good day they'll win i think that's the reason that they can't win I think i think It's not that they can't win. I think that's the reason that this isn't a great matchup. I think the Redskins have to run the ball, and they won't be able to against a Dallas defense that is very good against the run and has a very good pass rush. Um, There's always the, you know, you win the turnover battle with a plus two or a plus three like you had last week, and you win a game that way, which is a good way to win football games, and I'll take it. But I like the Cowboys 20-19 in this game. It's not a. It, it's not a go back to where we were after the New Orleans game or even the Indianapolis game. There are going to be some good signs in this game, and the season isn't over at three and three. If they lose in this up one week, down one week thing, I just think it's a matchup that doesn't play well for where the Redskins are right now, which is if they're not balanced, they're not going to throw the ball to win the game. Uh, I I like. I just don't love this matchup. It's not going to be a soul crushing loss, but I think the defense plays pretty well, keeps it close, and they lose twenty to nineteen. Yeah. That's that's what I'm, I'm feeling in this game. I would play Dallas uh, plus the one and a half in this game plus two. Um, but uh, I, to be honest with you, I don't really have a strong feeling from a betting standpoint on this game. Either way, that's just my hunch. I think it's going to be a tight game. I think it's going to be a field position game. I think it's going to be a mistake game. The team that makes the most loses. Uh, but right now, Dallas's defense of in this game is the best thing in this game. Their defense is better than the Redskins' defense. It's better than the Redskins' offense, and it's better than their own offense. And I think that it will be the star of this game, Dallas's defense.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, only, only – a turnover can really make a difference i think and i think you're right about that it could that. go i yeah. think
0: this is one of those games that that could easily go either way yeah, and with, it, yeah. but that that's you know we're making a prediction I, here and they had,
1: and look they had turnovers last week and didn't really fully take advantage that's of that's right yeah
0: um, thank you. Thank you. Uh, I'll see you again next week. Uh, I want to thank Aaron, who produced this podcast. Thanks to our presenting sponsor and friends at Window Nation, to Farish as well, to launch workplaces uh, here in Bethesda. Go to launchworkplaces.com if you're looking for office space, really nice office space if you live in northwest Bethesda Chevy Chase area. Uh, also, just an ask um, that all of you who haven't rated the podcast on iTunes or any other places, uh, any of the other places that you're Listening to it, just rate it. It really helps us. Write a review, even if it's really short, really helps us as well. Uh, back on Monday with a full recap of Skins, Cowboys, the NFL weekend, the college football weekend. Uh, I'll blog some over the weekend as well, so you can follow me there at thekevinsheehanshow dot and tell anybody that still doesn't know how to get a podcast, they just need to go to the Kevin Sheehan Show. Thanks to Andy. Thanks to Mike Shanahan. Thanks to John Kime. Thanks to all of you. Thanks to Aaron. Have a great weekend, everybody.